This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Journey on the stereo. So, the next time you're in the Chicago area and you're looking for some arcade fun, they'll welcome you with open arms at the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well, Carrington. And the fans on my MacBook Pro that you can hear in the background are doing well, too. Are they hovering? Is your, is your computer like a few inches above the desk? Because that's cool. <laughs> they were just waiting for me to start recording so that they could kick on at full blast. So <laughs> if we can't edit it all out, uh, I apologize. We'll do I apologize, can. too. I apologize for Mike. <laughs> so many things to apologize he for. has so many fans that they're in the background cheering and it's hard to get rid of that sound because people just follow mike around and cheer for him i'm pretty sure that it's not cheering that's sort of like the the yelling that you hear in parliament and shoes are being thrown <laughs> rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. <laughs> exactly so what is new mike uh not much been kind of a quiet week for me and i'm sort of in the midst of a five-day weekend it's pretty awesome oh why do you get a five-day weekend well monday is residence day okay it's one of the more it's one of the minor holidays here in the united states but i still get the day off and the way my work schedule is laid out i get every other wednesday off so if i take one day of leave on tuesday on days like this i end up getting a whole five days in a row sweet yeah it's pretty cool it's a long weekend here in Canada as well. Here in Ontario, Monday is family day. <laughs> what sort of nonsense is that? <laughs> well, when there weren't enough vacation things and, and holidays, yeah. we would just pick a month and go, you know what, let's have another day there. There's In most months, I think 10 out of the 12 months, there's uh, like a Monday holiday in the month. It's Canada. You don't want to go a whole <laughs> month without a, without a holiday of some sort. <laughs> so we sometimes have to stretch and make things up. This one's family day. Just another reason that Canada is awesomer. Yeah, you got to spend time with your family. Or my kids, you got to spend time sitting home playing video games. Now, you were telling me offline just a few minutes ago, you were talking about a a gaming place that you went to this weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super fun. There's a few of them here in Toronto. The one I went to was Snakes and Lattes, uh, and it's a board game cafe. There's a couple of them. That one's my favorite. It has a couple of locations, too. They've opened a bar version, too. But most of them are just big cafes, and they'll have a couple of walls just filled with board games like a thousand different board games yeah and you just go with friends and grab a table and then it's there's normally a little uh fee like most of them it's like a five dollar cover say but you stay as long as you want and then just play whatever games you want and they're also cafes so you can go have food or or coffee or whatever and then just play games with friends so it's it's nice because it's a great way to try out a game and or if you just want to get together and not a lot of people will have a hundred games at their house so you can go there and say well what kind of game you want to play and just go grab them and play and swap them anytime you want. And the staff are all very knowledgeable about the game. So if you've got a game and you look confused, they'll come over and say, can I explain the rules? Do you want to have some tips and strategy? And they really know their stuff and they make it really fun. And yeah, I had a good time. Now, does that mean that 
you could be standing in line for several hours. You yeah. It can stand as long as you want. If you go with a big group, sometimes every single evening, it's always packed, but particularly on weekends. And we went last night, which was uh, Saturday night. So a friend went date early. Night. Yeah. Well, actually these places are huge date um, uh, locations, date destinations in Toronto. Cause it's a fun thing to go. You, you, cool. you, know, you talk and you interact and yeah, I love it. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, uh, my friend Tara went first around four, four, I think four thirty to put our name to get a big table because mm-hmm. it was a large group and we didn't actually get seated till I think it was seven thirty or something. Wow. So you just hang out. You don't have to stay there. They just take your, like a cell phone number or whatever. And they just call you when you're next up. So we, she went, put her name on the table, and then just we all went out for, for dinner, just for Thai food. And I uh, know Vietnamese, and then just sort of hung out until we got the cell phone to say, okay, now come back in. Now, do they have, um, do they have any of the Parker Brothers arcade conversion to I board don't games? No, and I'm foolish in that I have never thought to look because I really want those in my <laughs> own life. So I have, you know, I have no idea, hmm. and that's crazy. My answer ashames me. <laughs> it's just I don't understand that I've I've been to these so many times and I've never actually looked. Foolish, kick me off this podcast. Why don't you? Ugh. Well, of course now. You just, if they do have them, you're just going to have to go in there and like, oh, gee, sorry, I lost the game. I don't know what happened to it. Shove in your backpack. Had it back. This game was missing a few pieces. Which pieces? All the pieces. All of them and the box and the instructions. (laughs) Plus, I'm having difficulty because my pockets are bulgy. Right. But if if you feel bad, you can, you know, offer to pay for the game. I could, but I won't feel that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, do we have any feedback this week? We do. We have been fed some back. Um... Let's see. Let me pick out a few here. Okay, Daryl. Daryl Decker wrote us a, a nice email that says, Hi, guys. I was recently turned on to your podcast. Ooh, Daryl. Um, <laughs> and I went to the Underground Retrocade. I've heard of that place. Mm, me too. <laughs> I might know its address very well <laughs> from saying it every week. Can't wait to visit. In, in Illinois. Oh, it's so awesome. Uh, wait, we're not allowed to say that. Well, yes, we are. <laughs> More sponsor bumpers. It's totally awesome. It's true. Um, they have a dedicated no quarter machine there, which features the game of the week. So I asked them, what's that all about? And now I'm deep into the NQP rabbit hole. And over the last few weeks, I marathoned all the past episodes. You had an episode about games you could play with only one hand. And I thought the simplest control would be something like Ms. Pac-Man, since it's just a single joystick. However, with all the recent news about this mobile game called Flappy Bird, it occurred to me this game technically just has a single button and so it would be even easier than a joystick and that got me thinking are there any old school arcade games that just have a single button for their controls i couldn't think of any but i thought you guys might have some thoughts so i gave it some thought as well and i think i wrote back to him with some ideas the first ones that came to mind were just those bar top you know poker and quiz game things they don't only have more than one, I couldn't think of anything that was just a single button, but I could think of, you know, button only game. So that was my first thought. And then there was some, you know, the serious old school classics like, like Space Invaders and Asteroids were button only games. Um, I can't remember what else. I think I had thought of others. I probably thought of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> there can't be that many. If there. No. So it was really hard to think of games that were button only that like I could think of a bunch of games and we've talked about them that are joystick only this week we'll be talking about a joystick only game just with multiple sticks but it was hard to think of games that are buttons only I don't know yeah did I don't you, have did you think of any more no not me no maybe our listeners can 
So anyways, it was a neat idea because it's sort of a, a, a twist on the discussions we've been having earlier about, you know, one-hand games and joystick-only games and stuff. So, and he says, uh, it, it, nice bit of constructive criticism. Well, he says, on a side note, I do like that you are introducing people to a bunch of games they may never have played. But some of my favorite moments from earlier episodes was when you talked about the games that you p- did play as a kid. Like you guys, I can remember pretty vividly where I was when I was introduced to certain games. And I love having those memories when I listen to your podcast and you talk about a game from my past. Try to bring back some of those games back into the mix if you can, which I think is a good suggestion. It definitely is the case that we, as much as Mike and I love talking about the obscure games and this podcast has introduced us to a whole bunch of games we'd never heard of before, it is also the case that we do want to cover the classics and the games we have heard of, and we're doing that this week, in fact. Um, anyway, he says, thanks again for a great show and keep up the good work. I have a pop to earn now by beating your scores on that NQP machine. Yeah. <laughs> Daryl. Um, and then he gave us some some game suggestions to throw into the, the list of upcoming reviews. I like all of his suggestions, and they were Rally X, Red Alert, Bosconian, I was just playing Bosconian today, actually, Vanguard, Alien Syndrome, Quartet, and 720. So, nice choice. 720, there's a game with a with a weird controller. So, yeah, definitely. But I mean, yeah. Yep. I did find uh, over on the Arcade Controls site, they have a forum, which mm-hmm. is forum.arcadescontrols.com, and there's actually a discussion thread there where somebody asked, hey, are there any arcade games that use only buttons um, and, and no joystick? And looking at that, nobody seemed to come up with a lot of stuff we hadn't come up with already. But I'm sure our listeners can do better. There must be other games out there that are button-only games. So someone will write in and tell us. They'll, they'll, they'll tell us, but only after we declare that there aren't any. <laughs> well, that is the best option. In the same way that we like to talk about events only after they've happened. That's very true. <laughs> we should only write in after we give up. <laughs> after we've been beaten. So we also got email. I think it was email. Might have been Facebook. Might have been Twitter. I don't know. In some way, Egan Ford reached out to us again. And he pointed us to uh, what he says on the last page of this. So there's a link to an Arcade Express. Uh, uh, it was an old zine, I guess, a, a typewritten thing. And it's being hosted over at digitalpress.com. He says on the last page of this particular issue is a published high score for Pac-Man that is five times greater than a perfect game. <laughs> Wow. Well, I am far too lazy to research this anomaly. I thought I'd pass it on to you. Worst case, you learn about the rag Arcade Express. And he was right. Okay, so the the score, I don't know. I, I'll be charitable and say it was a typo. <laughs> yeah, it's quite that's a typo. why. They, yeah, of course it is. Um, I think, top of my head, a real perfect Pac-Man score is 3 million and something. Isn't it 3, 3, 3, 3? Three, three, three. Something There's like a that bunch of threes, and then it ends with like a nine six zero or nine three zero. Okay, yeah, well, something like that. I know it's three million and change. So whereas this one was like a fifty million point score. So I don't think so. But he he was right that the most interesting thing was this actual what he calls a rag arcade express. Yeah. So it definitely. was a biweekly newsletter, all just on a typewriter. And it was great. I loved reading it. So we'll have a link in the show notes um, to that particular one. But the entire year run of it is is hosted on digital press. And I read through them all, and they're fantastic. It's a real slice of the past, like it just because it's it's talking about current news as of eighty two or whenever this was, and it's and just it's. I love the look of it because it's all done on a typewriter, but evenly spaced over. And just, I loved everything about it. It's fantastic. Definitely very cool. Um, if you're if you're into Arcade history, and hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you are. <laughs> yes, otherwise you're finding us very boring. <laughs> um, do we get anything else? I think we got other uh, We got a, a message on Facebook from Keith Sheehan, who mm-hmm. suggests that we review Mr. Do, and that's mm-hmm. definitely on our list. 
He says, I loved this game as a kid and remember spending a great deal of time and quarters on it at the local arcade. I also remember being disappointed when I found that it would never be ported to my beloved in television. This was around the time that Mattel pulled out of the gaming market and all the third-party games for the platform were canceled. Though 30 years on, this may not have actually been a bad thing considering Coleco owned the rights to the game. See the Intellivision Donkey Kong for reference. Yes, it was garbage. So, <laughs> so Mike, were you an Intellivision guy or an Atari VCS guy? I was neither. Um, really? Yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> my father considered the... There was too much Satan. Well, there was that, yes. But he also considered the, the gaming-dedicated platforms, uh, the consoles, a waste of time, and he would not have them in the house so i can see i think a lot of people were thinking that because you can really see how the the gaming consoles by around 82 or so were really pushing the whole hey you can attach this keyboard and it's a full computer they were all of them really tried to to push that angle by a certain point because i think i think a lot of people were thinking just like your dad did like a computer is one thing you can use it for school and maybe also play games but a dedicated gaming machine is just going to rot your brain young man right and it did yes it did now <laughs> so so i had to settle for being extremely extremely envious of the other kids in my elementary school who had the VCS and would talk about um, playing adventure or, oh, good, goodness, I remember when Yar's Revenge came out. What a big deal oh, that was. Everybody, such yeah. a good game. And that's, yeah. everybody's drooling over it, and I was like, ah, what are they talking that's about? That's still man? one of the all-time best Atari yep. 2600 games. I love That's yep. a game that really holds up. I love it. So, But I never had one of those. My wife was in, in television huge she grew up with one of those so that's kind of her platform and i i learned how excellent it was sort of through her stories of playing that i was much more an intellivision person myself we had the intellivision first and then got a 2600 um so i sort of first was really hooked on the intellivision and i and i i preferred it like uh, i liked the graphics better everything about the intellivision seemed better than the atari other than i'm one of the people who just hated the the controller like that disc thing i it dug into my fingers it never felt like it was like connected to anything you're just moving your thumb around i just, it just i did not like the i had one of those sticks you could pop on or i think maybe it screwed on or something and it gave a little pop-up joystick on on the controller huh. so i would try using one of those but my problem was like a lot of the games i had were two-player games i could never convince my sister to play like a lot of the sports games were so amazing but you want to play them with two people and so I'm just sitting there wishing somebody would play sea battle with me or whatever. So uh, I think that's sort of how I pitched it saying, cause I, in fact, I remember as a kid saying, okay, I want to get an Atari 2600. And my dad saying something like, okay, what's up? I got you to television, got computers. Like, why do you need another one? I'm like, cause I'm a lonely nerd and I have no friends. Man. Like, <laughs> I need to get assisted with more one player games. Aww. This has not changed. <laughs> so that's why I got the Atari 2600 really. Cause it had, a big library of games that, like, you know, you could play by yourself. Cue sad violin music here. But <laughs> that said, I still have fonder memories of the Intellivision in general, like liking the graphics, liking the, the running man sprite, like the look mm -hmm. of that. So, yeah. yeah, definitely more of an Intellivision guy. So I, I think why I'm enjoying the Intellivision Aries podcast so much. So. I'll paste that sad Hulk music in the background over that little bit there. <laughs> over everything yeah. I say um, in all shows. Rob, Rob O'Hara, Flack. I've heard of him. He's exposed us. I as, would hope so. The, about time. As the thieving frauds that we are, apparently. <laughs> we are indeed. Yes, apparently, we were established in 1982. Rob posted a poster, uh, a scan of a flyer from 1982 uh, called No Quarter, Just Endless Arcade Action. And it looks like an ad from something called Arcadia with a bunch of different 
I like Double Dragon and Arg and games like that. But I just thought that was kind of fun. And, I think that's fantastic. Everybody's calling us out. I knew it. So no, it just it took us that long to put out that first episode. It did. Yes. Like I'm really <laughs> lazy. Mike took a long time editing. It take it takes a while. People don't understand what goes involved in producing a show like this. You this, should you should um, like us more because of that and send us lots of money. This episode was actually recorded in about 1984, 85. So mm-hmm. so no spoilers. Don't tell us what happens right. in the nineties. <laughs> Uh, anything else, Carrington? Uh, oh, um, yeah, Jan, Jan Lund Thompson sent us email from the, speaking of other podcasts, the 64, or the, sorry, the C64 Takeaway podcast. He sent us, uh, more email about control things. He says, um, where is his email? Here we go. How are you, gentlemen? Speaking of controls for MAME on the last episode, I have a Namco arcade stick hooked up to my computer using a Koning PS1 to, oh, PS1 slash 2 to USB adapter. He sent us a link to that, so I'll put the link in the show notes. So he's technically sent that link to our listeners. Well done, Yan. Um, he says, <laughs> but more often than not, I find myself using the keyboard. This works just fine for Donkey Kong, which is what I play most of the time anyway. However, if you're using, oh, sorry, using a keyboard feels like you're playing an emulator. But for some reason, a proper controller is an entirely different matter. And despite being fairly happy with the Namco Arcade controller, I felt an urge to take things further. But as a person with zero woodworking skills, I can't build myself a custom casing for controls. Mm-hmm. So I have my eyes on an, the X-Arcade solo for quite a while. The main problem has been uh, it, the postage is an arm and a leg, basically $100 for the postage wow. for him. And yeah, and customs is most likely going to be slapping an extra surcharge on top of that, taking the total price to approximately $240. That's expensive. Yes. Um, however... Earlier this week, one of the mail order shops in Denmark started carrying the X Gaming products, and thus the craving returned. Sure, now I have to pay taxes on it, so that bumps the price up a notch, but still, it's just $90 cheaper than customs holding it for ransom and taking forever <laughs> to get here. It says, that leads me to my question. I keep hearing Mike knocking his tank stick, and I hear that people who play fighter games complain about the stick going mushy after a while. Then again, I'm mostly going to be using it for old school titles like Donkey Kong, Ladybug, Popeye, Satan's Hollow. Oh, Satan, Mike. It's Satan. And Run. Moon Patrol. <laughs> so, could you please be a bit more specific as to why, what you don't like about the X Arcade? Um, and then he also says that he had built a minimalistic MAME front end because, you know, me and my lack of front ends. <laughs> he used the Alfred tool on OS X oh, with yeah. some XML parsing mm-hmm. and uh, sent us a link to what the, the end, like what it looks like on the front end. And then I think it looks completely swell. So, there's a post, uh, like a Twitter fo- photo that's been posted. So, I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. So, Mike, Carrington. answer his question, Mike. <laughs> so, uh, what is it specifically that you don't like about this? Uh, ex- we, we touched on it a bit last week as well. I don't think that I can, Carrington, because I think he's referring to you, actually. I, I can tell you why you don't like well, it. Well, no, you're the one that doesn't like the XRK well, that much. We, I mean, we talked about how they're kind of heavy and kind of big. Mm-hmm. You talked about how it can be like a loose sort of control, but you well, swapped yours for other ones. No, no, that's, that, that's the, the iCade. Oh, I just assume you swapped everything everywhere. No, the- <laughs> my problem with the, like for me, the, the big problem I have with my borrowed tank stick, which I cannot open up and, and swap things around because it's not mine, is that it's too darn large. I found that the defaults weren't working properly with my default name setup, so I kept having to change all the, the key mappings, which was a bit of a pain. But mostly it's just I didn't like sitting in front of something that was so massive because I've got the tank stick lent to me and it's the one with the trackball in the middle. So it's a very large item. But if 
Um, I think Jan's looking at the the other one, the smaller one. The, the, the dual, he's looking, I think, at the solo, which is the one stick with the buttons. Right. So then that's a lot smaller and would probably right. get rid of a lot of my problems with the machine. It's it's because it's worked fine. It's just that it's lugging out something the size of a small car. Yep. And I have the dual, which is the two controller, two sticks, two sets of buttons. There's no there's no trackball in this one. And, and like you, it's 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 very heavy. And if I'm going to do any gaming, I have to clear my desk off. So it's sort of a you know, I I can't I can't really use it five minutes at a time because it takes longer than that to set it up and then take it off again. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the controls, I, I don't play fighters. I don't really know about mushiness or anything. I do know that it's sort of a heavy spring back. The sticks are kind of they feel maybe stiff is the right word um, for certain games that require kind of a light touch. If you're playing Pac Man in fast mode, for example, and you need to press the stick at just the right time to uh, to make that corner. It can it takes more effort than say a lighter stick or an IK. The, and that's not a problem for ten or fifteen minutes, but it can lead to some some fatigue if you have to if you're playing a long if you're playing a long game and you have to keep putting extra pressure on the joystick to, to get it to click to register the move. So. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing particularly. Like wrong with them? They're well made yeah. items. They're very well made men. Yeah, uh, and I, I was able to to mount a spinner knob in mine too for for games like Arkanoid and things like that. So you're so fancy. I am, and it works great, and I love it. Fancy, fancy man. <laughs> I don't have a spinner. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me being jealous. I see. Uh, one final item that we should talk about before we move to this week's game mm-hmm. is the Underground Retrocade. Uh, we mentioned them earlier, and yes, this is another sponsor plug. But hey, we love them. They've, they've established this tradition of putting of loading up the game that we talk about in their NQP cabinet. And if you beat our scores, you can win a free pop, soda, coke, whatever you call it. So we got to raise our scores up, is what he's saying. <laughs> We're costing him too much in soda. Well, there's that, but they've they've <laughs> they've rolled out this new promotion where you can win a free thirty minute pass if you if you play. Uh, along with us, the the way you you win through thirty minutes of free playtime at the Underground Retrocade is simply to message him privately with a guest for this week's game, and if you're the first one to get it right, you get thirty minutes free. That's awesome. Yes, I like it. We have such a good sponsor. This is, and with this pass, you can upgrade to an hour for five dollars or all day for ten dollars. Ah, that's a yes. that's a deal, man. Absolutely. So if you know what we're going to play next week, um, message Scott. Message the underground retrocade. Do it privately. If you if you post it publicly, everyone's going to know, and you'll ruin all the fun. <laughs> yes, exactly. Be sneaky. Right. And if you already know the game that we're going to play next week, uh, congratulations, you're psychic because we haven't played the sound yet. Because <laughs> we and we also haven't even picked it. Yet. That's right. We, we won't pick it at the. End. <laughs> we won't pick it until after we're done recording. Yeah, even we don't know That's what we're going to play next week yet. <laughs> but what do we play this week, Carrington? This week we busted out a two joystick game. Based on a movie that I like and I think no one else does called <laughs> Crawl. Oh, yeah. Crawl, baby, with the glaive. Throwing mm. the glaive at the beast. All right. So, <laughs> man, I, I I wanted to like this game more than I did. Uh-oh. Uh, Crawl is a 1984? Uh, I think it's 83. Okay, well, I know it's Gottlieb. So yeah. we're well, dealing with a pinball maker. Crawl was released, according to Wikipedia, we all know how accurate they are, in 1984. Um, it was programmed by Matt Householder and Chris Krubel. 
It is loosely based on the crap movie of the same title. <laughs> I disagree um, there with were, you there, mister. <laughs> the game went into production, or did not go into production. There were ten prototypes made, and these are all kind of out there in collector's hands and various states of function and repair, but uh, they're highly sought after. And mm-hmm. th- There's only ten of them, yeah. I can imagine. And I, I think I saw somewhere that one guy has eight of them. Um, I think that was a joke. Oh, I see. Well, I, I too was looking at that. Uh, in fact, I took a note about it because I was like, really? That seems that seems surprising to me. And there was like somebody who had noted on, where was this? Uh, oh, on the Pinball Arcade Fans Forum. Mm. So somebody had, has a thread. There. I'll, I'll put a link to this whole thread so you can read it for yourself, dear listener, and see. So it was a, a thread on the Krell Pinball Prototypes. And one person asked, uh, what is it? One, one of the Krull owners lives in Colorado. I wonder where the other ones are. And then somebody named Knight in Amsterdam replied, well, I own eight of them. Why? And then nobody responded. But I'm thinking, <laughs> there's no way he owns eight of them, really. And I think it's just everybody else knows more about this than me. So I'm pausing to think, well, maybe he does own eight. I don't know. <laughs> I recently posted a thing on Twitter saying that kids today don't realize that if you notch the side of an SD card, you can flip it over and record stuff on the back, right? <laughs> and to old school computer users, that's obviously a joke based on five and a quarter inch floppies. But I had a bunch of people message me saying, is that true? Like, where do I put the notch oh in and goodness. stuff? So I think I'm one of those guys when it comes to Krill Pinball, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, maybe one person does own it. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure it was just a joke. Though the uh, Internet Pinball Database... Because, you know, I know so much about pinball. Um, <laughs> it does confirm that there were just the 10 prototypes. So that seems to be actually true. There are only 10 of them ever made floating out there. I never understood the appeal of prototypes as, or as collector's items. No? Um, well, I mean, it's. I guess if you're a museum-type collector and you just want to look at it, sure, it's great. But no, but if they're actually functional, well, like were these working crawl, you can play them prototypes? Because then I can see it's your only chance to get a crawl pinball machine. Well, maybe, but... You know, consider the case of the Apple IIGS Mark Twain. For those of you who don't know, or are arcade people, or are Commodore people, and don't don't care, and uh, the Mark Twain was the final version of the Apple IIGS, or was supposed to have been the final version of the Apple IIGS. They had gotten as far as I think they were about to go into production when Apple killed the line, and there were a handful of these uh, prototypes for the next generation of what this machine was going to be, and they've slowly escaped Apple, and a few people have them <laughs> here and there. None of them work the same because they're prototypes. You know, they, they're, they're models to give you, to give the designers and engineers an idea of what it might look like and whether they're going the right direction with certain features and how this is going to work and how much it's going to cost us. And so they're in, in various states of development. Some work, some don't work at all. Um, so as far as something you can actually use, I don't know that that would be all that useful. And And I believe the, could be wrong here, but I thought I read somewhere that the Krull pinball machines were kind of in the same state where they're all a little bit different. They don't all work the same. So uh, I, if you get one of these, it's not working and you fix it. Have you kind of destroyed a little bit of history there? Cause it's not in the condition that it was when it was at, at, at Gottlieb. I don't know. Oh, hmm. good point. So. It's like if I cleaned up and repaired the, the scratches in my fix it Felix machine, which was made to look scratched by Disney. Right. I guess I would be, in that sense, wrecking it by making it better. Yeah, I don't know. I Sure, I, I see, I, I would enjoy, of course, seeing it in a museum or, or a place like that, but it's not something that if I see it in a thrift store, I'm going to go, oh my God, I have to have this. But then I could play Krull Pinball while I was watching Krull the movie or, in my Krull onesie. Or you could just play 
the Kroll Arcade game instead. At the same time, I meant I was going to use, you know, one hand for each. I can, I can do the joystick with one hand and an elbow to play the game. <laughs> and then, you know, rig up some sort of two-figure button thing for the pinball machine. I, I'm a multitasker, baby. I want to see photos of that setup. I, I got I to gotta see that in action. <laughs> it's going to make the rounds on the internet. Mm, I'm yep. going to be famous. Yep. So you had mentioned that this Krull video game was d- uh, made and, um, and programmed by Matt Householder and Chris Krubel. Yes. And I don't know either of them. So after you said that, I went and Googled them. And it looks like they didn't do anything but this game. This was the game that they made. This game destroyed their souls. <laughs> they wrecked their career. Yes, <laughs> because the game like it wasn't very... The movie was such a bomb. I think that these titles based on the, the IP for the movie... Uh, were suddenly like not as popular or not as desired. So. Well, poor Matt and Chris. So, so a quick overview of the movie. Um, it's crap. It's you're it wrong. A, it's got a glaive, <laughs> man. Five sided glaive. This is a low a low budget fantasy slash sci fi question. Exactly. Mark it's film. a low budget fantasy sci fi movie. You say that that that's <laughs> awesome. Well, that's it's gold, it's, baby. It's awesomely bad now. But in the 80s, if you like movies like Hawk the Slayer. Actually, if you're like me and you like things like this, I was then... thinking of Lady Hawk. Um, Lady Hawk is awesome in all ways except the soundtrack. <laughs> that music, man. Yeah. That music. Oh, okay. that's music. Sure. Well, well, the the music was problematic in, in Curl as well, where there's this light, sort of upbeat hop, um, happy music playing in the back of a battle of a battle scene as people were being <laughs> slain, slewn within inside <laughs> within a castle. The castle itself was. You could see it was the cheap styrofoam walls, and they just sort of set it on some sand because when they pry, when the, the enemies pry the front door open, there's just sand outside. There's no entrance. There's no moat. There's just nothing but this but desert wasteland. The, the, the castle is a is a mountain that can teleport. <laughs> yeah, that must be anywhere. And, and they have and, to find out where it's going to be on that that next day because at at dawn it moves. Come on, it's awesome. And that that brings me to the next point. It's. The, the movie starts out in space, and there's this spaceship approaching a planet, and you think, oh, cool, science fiction. No, it's knights <laughs> and swordplay, and there's nothing about science fiction in it other than that they're alien invaders who apparently don't have any other technology other than to be able to build a spaceship. It, it is kind of weird that, yes, the aliens <laughs> land and the, go, yeah, let's the get effects the are bad, the acting is poor, um, and so it's laughably bad now, and it's fun to watch. But and I remember I wasn't allowed to see this movie because it was billed as a fantasy movie. So I saw these, you see these posters and there's, it's like this weird thing might be face like stone thing against a starfield background that just says crawl on the bottom. So I was always wondering, wow, what is that movie like? And this weekend or this week, as I was preparing to watch this game, I got to experience it and went, man, I'm glad I didn't pay to Wait, see So you had never seen crawl before I had before never now. seen crawl. Nope. That's hilarious. Oh, so awful. Your, your childhood was so empty. It was. <laughs> Uh, I love the movie, man. Yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah, but the, the 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 movie bombed, and yes, this is true. And and this, well, it's found a bit of a cult following now. It did very poorly. It's very poorly rated. The reviewers at the time hated it. It's got like a thirty percent rating or something on Rotten Tomatoes. So most people agree with you. <laughs> you are not one of them, and no. that's fine. Uh, I, it does say here that the the graphics were done uh, by Jeff Lee, who, who oh who went, I know him, went on to create. 
Kubert and yeah, sure. He did Mad Planets. He mm-hmm. did Us versus Them. He's one of the few people I where I know him as the graphics guy for a bunch of bunch of good games. Mach three, I think even. Yep. So a bunch of a big variety of games. So oh, okay, that's cool. Nice. The one good thing about the game um, was the sound, <laughs> and that was done by David. I so disagree. I like you know one good thing about this game. This game's got tons of good stuff. <sighs> In that it is a clone of a bunch of other different games and in, in phases, poor clones, but um, then yes, I would agree with you. Um, so wrong. So wrong. It's so okay, good. Getting back to the movie then for just a second. Uh, <laughs> the game the game itself recreates sort of the soundtrack and of of the movie. The problem is that the sound the movie soundtrack has no memorable catchy melody or, or tunes or anything. So nah. So when I'll you, give you that one. When it's, you, it's missing. When that. you switch over to the arcade game, yeah, it's nice music, but there's nothing that immediately goes, oh, I know that music from this movie. What they've done here is they've taken a bunch of different uh, gameplay elements. And we talked about a previous game, and I, escaping me at the moment, that had um, basically had five different mini games that were stolen from other titles. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and this is kind of the same thing. And they've done the same like, thing the here. different levels, right. I would think, oh, this is like this game. Right. Yeah, totally. And they've simply slapped on the, the Kroll IP and put in Corwin, the hero's name, and some music, but has nothing Prince really... Prince really, Colwyn uh, to you, oh, Mr. That's right. Prince Colwyn. Prince Colwyn has nothing has <laughs> nothing to do with uh, really the, the movie itself. I did like the fact that, okay, so the the... First event is th- there's five different stages that you have to go through, and the first one of these is that you pick up, you have to pick up the pieces of your weapon, which sort of it's a glaive, baby, the glaive, Say it. glaive, glaive, glaive. Uh, which sort of mimics what happens in the movie where the hero is sent out on the hero's journey, and he has to first claim his weapon from the top of a mountain, and there's this hilarious scene where he's trying to avoid little tiny rocks that are bouncing down at him, and to do so he lays down on the mountain so that they almost look big, but you can tell these these little rocks that they've created are about the size of maybe a, a human head or smaller, like a fist. And you think, well, just stand up and move over there, and they will roll past you. But uh, because, I guess, the movie's budget or whatever, they couldn't afford more styrofoam or paint. Can't afford big rocks. It's got a budget. So, he, so he's rocks. laying there trying to make it look dramatic. As he it's avoids. funny in the movie because that is the big thing. Like, the only way to fight the beast is you can only be defeated by the glaive. And in the end... They defeat it a different way because <laughs> right. they get the fire thing on. Because even the first time I saw the movie, I was like, so you didn't need the glaive? <laughs> was that the whole point of the movie That's and the poster and everything about yeah. this? And in the end, it's like, let's hold hands and make fire. But I don't care. I still love the movie. But it is the case that, yeah, you kind of don't use the glaive. Even this movie, you can't beat him with the glaive. You shoot him. It's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> So Glaive is still awesome. Right. Five-sided knife, man. Glaive. So that's the first stage. You have to gather pieces of the Glaive, mm-hmm. uh, five pieces, I think. And, and avoid as, the boulders. And in this case, it's real boulders. Now, the problem, <laughs> or or at least they're more <laughs> like realistic, like larger than your sprite. You know? um, the problem is, with this, the graphics are kind of crappy, and so you get this little stick figure. And, oh, I like the graphics. And it, the, the the boulders don't really change that much, but it's and it's it feels like because it is a ripoff of some other games where you're avoiding things as they're coming down the screen at you. Um, I think the game would have been probably would have been better, at least in my opinion, if you had sort of zoomed in a little bit so that they could make your sprite larger and you could actually like oh that's that's 
that's colon. Mm, it is. That's, that's that colon. is true. Like the, in this game in general, you're dealing with very small sprites. Right. And they just don't look They're, very good. Yeah. But at least I had the feeling that, oh, these are real boulders. And, mm. and rather My than- issue was in the one time, because I played a bunch of times this week, because I like this game. Bite it. <laughs> so, but the glaive, you got the pieces of the glaive scattered about this mountain, and you go up and get them and try avoid the boulders. But sometimes, like, there's also these trees, bush things on the mountain. And I had a piece of the glaive will appear behind a tree. So I'm running around going, where's the other piece? I just was on the level for quite a long time <laughs> until I realized, I guess I should just go walk on the bushes. And then suddenly I had picked up a piece. So they can be actually hidden because of the trees. They don't, they don't always appear at the highest level. So that was really the only complaint I had. Though I racked up a huge score because of it. So that was good. Because yep. I'm just spending all my time running away from boulders. And if you run and a boulder's near you, you get points while it's sort of chasing you. So the longer you stay there letting the boulders get near you, the more you can just sort of, you know, Get tons and tons of points, which will win you a free pop. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I'm glad that on this first stage, they didn't implement a timer. You can stay on the stage as long as you want. And I, I actually sort of enjoyed, I enjoyed the gameplay here a little bit because you could kind of plan your way around the boulders. So you work your way up to the top and you can, if you're careful, you plan it out and don't just try and run immediately for the pieces. Um you can, as you said, not only can you survive without too much difficulty, but you can rack up a big score mm-hmm. as you do. Yeah, so I, did, I find I did it like that. The, yeah, level one is the level you'll spend the most time on because you can do that. And also, I found usually that was the one where I was getting the most points mm-hmm. per level, sort of, was that first level. Because then you, you sort of race to the, the next ones a little quicker. And then that takes you to level two once you've gathered all five pieces, uh, wherein you play Robotron. I was going to say, level two is essentially Robotron, yes. yes. I will I will grant you that, yes. Hey, are you saying that Robotron is not awesome? I think Robotron is awesome. I think this <laughs> Well, is then there you go. Poor, this has a fifth of awesome. Poor, <laughs> poor ripoff of Robotron. <laughs> I um, disagree. It's awesome. And Glaive. this is about where I gave up and said, no, this game is <laughs> I'm level <stupid>. two. <laughs> I'm done with it. Um, so I don't really actually know what the rest of the game looks like, but I, I bet you do, Carrington. I do, because I saw these levels multiple times, because I dig this game. So yeah, so level two, like you're saying, is basically you're shooting the Slayers. Slayer, dude! You gotta shoot uh-huh. the, and we're not saying that you're shooting the members of Slayer, which <laughs> would itself be pretty cool if like Journey versus Slayer as a video game. I'm pretty sure that, that Journey would, would not win that fight. <laughs> actually, you're right. Journey would not win that fight. I've played Journey's game. Journey would lose. Um, so you basically, level two is what you doing is you're rescuing your army so you got these guys it's kind of an army it's really your band of thieves from from the movie so you play robotron level three is kind of the same thing again but now instead you're, you're leading your group to this hexagon now mike having seen the movie you might wonder what is this big hexagon I did, yes. yeah there's kind of not a lot from the movie in the game, to be honest, the, the game goes its own way plot-wise. So you lead your army to this hexagon thing in level three. Level four is kind of like Star Castle in that a, a bit of kind of like that Tron thing. We've got this hexagon where the the color walls are rotating. And really, it's when the wall is black in front of you. You fire your glaive, love to say glaive, to knock out the walls. And it's like these four sections that finally open up and you can go in the hexagon. So that's the goal is as quickly as possible, knock out the, the black walls of the hexagon. And then level five is when you finally face the beast. So Princess uh, Lissa is at the top and there's the beast throwing fireballs at you. You can't 
hurt him with the glaive, just like the movie. Glaive's kind of useless. But he, you can shoot the fireballs with the glaive. So the idea is just basically run past him and get to Princess Lissa, which took me a while to figure out because I keep thinking I have to defeat him. You don't have to defeat him. You have to run past him and just you know grab your, your princess in another castle or whatever. And then that ends that level. You join hands, make fire. And then however many of your eight guys in your thief army you've saved, they come on screen and they push the 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 beast away and then they form a little ring around you to say happy wedding and then it starts over and you run on the mountain again grabbing your glaive pieces i do find it funny that that i guess they were so creatively bereft that they couldn't even come up with a name for the princess in the script until they found the actress to play her the princess's name in the movie is uh lissa the actress's name is lizette anthony so well it's also weird because they go in in the movie i always found weird that they talk to this old witch lady and she's also named lissa i'm like why are there two characters named lissa yeah it seems really weird very terrible yeah um and in the movie there's a giant spider web which i thought is what they should have used instead yeah. of a hexagon like why would they not use they already had a hexagon and you had this whole thing in the movie where you're riding on horses that have fire and stuff like you've got things that could make great video game levels in the movie and they don't appear in the game it's weird that the game is just kind of you know, inspired by the movie because the movie's so awesome and they should have used more of it. And maybe that's part of my problem here is that I don't have any sentimental attachment, not having seen the movie back then. So, um, the movie now is sort of, it's maybe a half step better than the star Wars holiday special where you just sit back and laugh at it. Um, I think it's way but, better than that. See, I do have that nostalgic connection. I, exactly, I saw exactly. Crawl as a kid. I right. actually really liked it. It was deep into my Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. period of my life. And, I re- and so playing the game now, I was like, yeah, this rem- I remember this. Right. And yeah, yeah, I dug it. And for me, it was just sort of a standard shoot 'em up slash is a mashup arcade game that, that took a bunch of themes that were popular at the time and, and slapped, a, and slapped a, a Hollywood property onto it. Not very well. Right. Um, so, didn't care about it. I hear you. Um, the game was supposed to have been adapted to the Atari 5200, but sales of that arcade console were so poor that they decided to go with the 2600 instead. It looks like that was the only thing that it was ported to. I don't have a problem understanding why. And I don't really have anything else to say about the well, game. Well, it was also a... Um, we were talking about me going to that... that- board game cafe it was also yet another game that had a board game version there was a parker brothers board game of it i want that and i want all board games based on on and there was also a card game parker brothers put out not just a board game but also a card game i wonder if the cards are shaped like glaives and you throw them at each other <laughs> they stick in your awesome. forehead they're metal <laughs> cards awesome. shaped like ninja stars <laughs> well there is a cool hardware-based Easter egg in the cabinet. Mm-hmm. What's that? Um, and how it works is you open the coin door, and then you press and hold the select button while you turn on the power. And then there, in the coin door area, there's a inter- coin door interlock switch. So you pull that, and then 64 black and white versions of the Bob Dobbs head will float around oh, the screen. From the, the Church of the Subgenius. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So... That's a particularly weird Easter egg. Yeah. Very <laughs> yep, so that exists. <laughs> now, the cabinet was created by Terry Doz- Dorzaf. That's exactly how he pronounces it. Okay. Uh, why don't you tell us about the cabinet, Karen? Well, it's we, we sort of touched on this earlier that 
one thing that makes this game stand out is it's using two joysticks rather than buttons. So that's kind of cool. So it's a black cabinet uh, because, you know, it's a cool movie. So you have a cool black cabinet and it's got half height artwork on the side. And it's kind of decent artwork. It's kind of looks more like a movie poster, frankly, than arcade artwork. So it's got uh, Prince Colwyn throwing his glaive and Lissa standing behind him holding some sort of torch scepter thingy. I'm not really know what's going on there. Uh, the marquee is just the Krull logo with the glaive. I love to say glaive. Spinning past it. But the most interesting part, of course, is the control panel because this is a two-joystick game. So the art on the panel uh, beneath each of the joysticks shows a blue eight-pointed star. I guess to show that you that they're eight-way joysticks. But each one also only has four icons in the the like northeast southwest area to show what the the joysticks can do. So on the left, it's got Prince Colwyn running away from the joystick in the four directions to show that the left stick is for movement. And on the right, it's got um, the glaive shooting off in the four directions, I guess, to show that that's the shoot stick. Um, and I think the only odd thing to note is that the image of Colwyn just here, like this is the only part where it does this, it's got him has this big, bright yellow, like helmet of hair and a beard and he's wearing these red tights so it's kind of a different look for him to be honest <laughs> so i'm like where did this come from so that's kind of kind of bizarre it's i think a fairly collectible um cabinet i could not find any that have sold recently so i don't know what the current pricing is well wikipedia says that only 2500 cabinets were manufactured so that oh so sense. maybe that's why because it doesn't seem to come up for for um auction very often that would make sense yeah lots of places online will list like prices for things like the xd price guide will will list things but you can't always go by those like it says uh what is it xd says that for the upright cabinet which was the only version of the cabinet you'll pay anywhere from 400 to 750 but i find that the xd guide is normally out of date by quite a few years so at some point maybe that was the range some games have gone way up since the XD guide. Some things have been way down. So I don't really want to go by that. But that's the only thing I could find where somebody would tell me what you could expect to pay for this. So I don't know. It sounds like you would want one for your collection, though. I think no. Because oh. it doesn't have... It's two joysticks, and that makes it cool. Because, you know, two joysticks. But I was able to play that perfectly well in MAME. So I'm able to emulate this game. The cabinet's kind of neat. And while I, I like the movie a lot, it's not. We're not talking Star Wars here. We're not talking a movie that, like, I adore. So I don't think if, – if I was setting up an arcade and I was going to have a full-size arcade, so I get to pick 50 machines or something, it's actually – it's going to make my list. But for a home collection where I only get to have, like, five or something, then no. It's not going to be a top five or top ten cabinet for me because there's nothing here – that I couldn't emulate. I'm going to want to focus on things that have weird controls. But that said, I think it's a good-looking cabinet. I think it's a good-looking game. I had tons of fun playing it. You're wrong about the movie and everything else you've ever said. And, um, As usual. Yep. And I, and I <laughs> dig it, man. I totally I give it a thumbs up. I never will say. <laughs> I, I give it a thumbs up. I really love playing it this week. I think this is a super fun game. Great. <laughs> That's what I say. So what about you? What, uh, <laughs> really? well you're going to ask me that? <laughs> Would you want to have one of these? I don't care about this game. I'm never going to play it again. So Really? No. Yep. This surprises me. I think when people go and play on the dedicated cabinet down at, at Underground Retrocade, they will play this. They will have fun. They will all beat your score, it would seem. <laughs> I can't, 
I haven't heard your score yet, but I'm, I'm anticipating it's not going to be huge. They'll probably all beat my score too, because I'm not saying that I did really particularly well at this game, but I had a super good time playing it. All so right. There. So there. So let's talk scores. Sure. <laughs> let's, 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 chips on the table here, Mike. How'd you do? So the, the default high score is 10,000. Yes. I think. Uh, I easily beat that, but I, I don't think that, as opposed to last week's game where you we were struggling to make ten thousand. No, I was struggling <laughs> and and never succeeded. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, the, last week's game was ten thousand was difficult to make. I only beat it once. Carrington be, didn't beat it at all. <laughs> Let's keep bringing um, that up. Oh, sure, I'm good with that. Um, <laughs> this was simply we need to put something on the screen. It does have a nice feature where, in addition to the the top. 10 or top five all time high scores. You also have the daily 20 or 50. So mm-hmm. uh, even if you didn't make the, the high score list, you could still feel good about yourself maybe and, and get your name on the second list or it would only last for a day. Um, and then when they reset the machine, then that would wipe out. But I, the best I did was 12,350 points. And that was once through the, the opening stage, the, the boulders from coming down and crushing you. And, and then a little bit into Robotron. Well, I did much better. Of course My best score was 82,020, 82,020. And that was essentially on my third time through the levels, I think. And so, and I was, I know I was killed by boulders um, on that, and but I made it onto my Kroll Elite scoreboard. And um, even though I was crushed by the tiny boulders on level one, but it was my, I, I, I think it was on my third time through level one. Um, so yeah, I did. I don't know what the, any idea what the, the like the the actual high score is for real players. The high score, the official current world record high score for this was set by Jason Curran. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. And he racked up four hundred and twenty one thousand five hundred and ninety points. I think he pronounces it Jason Colwyn and makes people call him Prince. Uh, well, I certainly would. Yep. So four hundred and twenty one thousand. That's a yes, lot of points. It is. That's a bunch of points. I feel good about my game though. This is a game that I feel I'm not going to be. Usually I'm pretty embarrassed with my scores, to be <laughs> honest. And I feel like I made a, I made a decent show. Now, I, I've thought that before, that everyone ends up making fun of my score. But I feel like I did, I did decently this. I don't think everyone's going to just easily walk all over my score. I think I did okay. <laughs> so we will well, see. Well, you made it all the way through at least, what, three, two or three times? Yeah, I mean, so. I think through, I think on that level, because I did make it farther sometimes, but my score wouldn't be indicative of how far I got, because a lot of it is about racking up big points on the boulder chasing. Like, to spend your time on that first level, find boulders that are moving kind of at the same speed at you, get right in front of it and just race down, and then dodge out of the way at the bottom, and you can rack up a bunch of, bunch of points that way. So sometimes I would make it further into the game, but I wouldn't have as good of a score. But I'm pretty sure this was a time where I went through like all five levels twice and then died right at the beginning of the, the third time through. Um, I, think that's, I think that's what happened this time. I think that's when I got the score. So, but I played, I played a whole bunch this week. I really, I really enjoyed playing this. So would you say that this is a game that gets more difficult as it resets? Or, or well, that was just... the thing is, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I kept feeling like it wasn't. Like it was just that you keep losing your men and and like these these helper guys and the fewer of those you have it just gets you're, you you know you don't they don't carry over to the next levels but big deal um, it was just more that I was I was just slowly dying and it was like almost like through a war of attrition I would finally run out but it didn't feel like once you got through the five levels and you started over it was crazily harder 
I was really not even noticing a difference. So it was just more that given these levels, this is just as as good as I can do. So it just became a game of odds where eventually something was going to get you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Crawl features a... Cool features an Intel 8086 processor at five megahertz. Wow. Really, that's I, that's pretty rare and surprising. Yeah, I think that's the first 8086 that we've seen. We've yeah. seen a couple of other Intel chips, but not that one. Uh, a Motorola 6502 for the sound at at 894.886 kilohertz, and it uses a DAC for the sound circuitry. Uh, a 16 color palette and two player alternating, and as we pointed out, the double eight way joysticks. Uh, the game was designed and programmed over a period of 10 months. They started design in early May 1982, and it was finished by February of 1983. And this is Gottlieb's first movie-themed video game, and probably their last. Interesting, because, yeah, they they did um, movie-themed pinball stuff as well right around this period like they would have i think they did a a black hole pinball machine so interesting so this is the first time they did the movie themes for arcade okay right and, and it was not a good experience for them i guess <laughs> if you're um if you can find it if you're if you're someone who who enjoys a, an excellent read about the game that you're playing i highly recommend grabbing the main history file on this uh whoever wrote this should be a published author there's it's quite the Quite the description of, of the gameplay um, and a, a fun, fun read. Nice. Okay. Good yeah. Good to note. And I think that about wraps it up for this week's game. I like this week's game very much. Uh, it's because you're insane. <laughs> With my glaive. Well, what about <laughs> next week? What, what would it be? Next week sounds like this, Carrington. And that brings us to the end of Gottlieb's Kroll. But before we move on, uh, I did want to mention that Carrington and I have signed up for a charity. What would you call this? Event. <laughs> yes, it, it, this is a charity event uh, suggested to us by Michael Kelso. He's over at the, the Retro Junkies Network, that, uh, uh, of which we are a member. And the... If you want to find out about it, it's uh, extra-life.org. But what we're going to end up doing is, Michael, is organizing um, team a team play scenario where uh, each of each podcast that's that is part of, of Retro Junkies and wants to be part of it will will play for a chunk of time. Uh, ultimately, I think we're going to be playing the, the the Retro Junkies team is going to be playing over a period of twenty four hours. I was thinking you and I could do something like we could set up a, um, a Google Hangout where we could share our video screens. Uh, of course, I'm going to make you play Bubbles. <laughs> I will take it. <laughs> I will Bubbles for 24 hours. And, and then people we, better donate. <laughs> right. And we don't have a lot of details at the moment. Because it's not happening until October. So lots of time to set things up. So. Yes. But that's coming. So if you, if you want to watch us play and you feel charitable, save up some dimes and nickels and quarters, whatever you feel like you can donate. And we'll have more details, I'm sure, in coming episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good idea. And, and it's supporting the uh, Children's Miracle Network of hospitals. So, right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. 
feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>